Hello, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on Twitter. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And uh, welcome to our wonderful Los Angeles offices. Uh, we're recording a day earlier than we usually do. We're on a Thursday instead of a Friday. We are on our game, so to speak. But we, you know, we have a lot of reasons for this, mostly to do with television that we're looking forward to watching <laughs> in the not-too-distant future. But... The thing that, that we're kind of the, 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 the conversation topic du jour, if you will, is about a little thing we like to call Netflix. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Not responsible for a large percentage of the content we 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 cover. No, I'm unfamiliar. But yes. Go on, please tell me more about this this, this Netflix, ne- if you will. <laughs> this Netflix of which I speak. Well. Oh gosh, I can't even keep that bit going. <laughs> but the thing about the thing that we're the thing this is basically all comes down to something I tweeted back in May when we were going through a bunch of we were going through a bunch of Netflix's upcoming programming, uh, in in looking at you know in getting to watch screener episodes of um, all their of all their summer sh- most of their sum- their summer shows, and the thing I tweeted was. How to increase the amount of lesbian sex you watch in any given day? Prepare for a, net, a Netflix press day, because I found myself watching so much lesbian sex that day, that day of just watching screeners, and it leads to the interesting question of, you know, you wouldn't necessarily define an entire network by the fact that it is incredibly friendly to LGBT um, people, or at least it, it at least is engaged with them on a level that other networks aren't, but. It's an interesting question because why is Netflix doing it so well? Well, I mean, it's or it's, do, doing it so much rather. Well, uh, the, yeah, those are two different questions. And, yes. and to address the one about why they're doing it so much is honestly, I think that at least from their perspective on a, on a purely business side, it's largely an untapped market, and not necessarily just LGBT stories, but kind of the the stories that haven't been told yet and that's what they're focusing on and that brings out those characters i mean if you look at broadcast tv it's got to cater to everybody it can't offend people it's got to be fairly safe and pc and kind of by the book because that's what draws in the most audience and that's what gets the most advertisers uh pay cable they kind of change it up a little bit and they experiment with this for sure but they're still their audience is still primarily rich they've got a lot of money they're older So they're kind of targeting more towards them. If you look at Netflix and Amazon, they need to make shows for people who are going to do what they're, or partake in what they're selling. So you got to talk to about a younger generation. That's a group of people who's largely more progressive in in just about everything that we do. So they're going to identify with these stories. They're going to look for these stories and they're going to watch them on their favorite device slash streaming service, which is Netflix or Amazon or whatever have you. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting too because the other the other thing that Netflix and Amazon have had to do is, you know, the, the real the real success the real successful shows that they've started off with all were due to the fact that they had really strong creators behind the behind the behind the wheel, and one of the selling factors for those creators coming behind the wheel was is the fact that they had pretty they had pretty unlimited creative control, it, to the point where it became a cliche to hear. And yet, interview after interview after interview. Oh man, yeah, working with Netflix is the best. They don't have any notes. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and again, like, if you let somebody have their own voice and, and there's not going to be any altering of that voice and there's not going to be any censorship going on, then you're going to end up with more stories and you're going to end up being told these stories by people who haven't been heard from before. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, that's where a lot of these seem to come from. And again, if you look at these Netflix shows, especially the ones that I just randomly kind of took some notes on, um, they're all good shows. Like, they're all, like, at their core, they're all very good. House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Grace and Frankie. And, I mean, I've only seen one ep episode of Sense8, but, I mean, I get it. It's a good show. <laughs> like, it's not terrible. It's, def it's not like it's Cloud Atlas. It's, oh. it's pretty good. <laughs> so... So, I mean, if, if you've got that and it's working on, you know, multiple levels, then, you know, it's just going to keep going that way. Like, they're going to keep pushing that angle. Yeah, I think what's, I mean, I, it's what's interesting is, like, we're talking about shows that span a lot of genres, but even then, like, make sure to incorporate at least interesting, ex interesting explorations into human sexuality. Like, House of Cards, you know... Is not a show that I think on the surface I ever expect. When I first started watching it, I never expected it to go to the places it ended up going at, no. at various points in its run. No, definitely not. I I am consistently surprised by the sexuality of House of Cards. I can say that safely. And I'm not even talking about. I mean, the I think the the main character on the show who's had like the largest uh, like sexual arc is probably Rachel right who, who you know kind of found herself living with another woman and and that was just a heartbreaking thing to happen in, in season two but uh, not that she was a woman but what happened with woman obviously yes uh, but yeah I mean the rest of it too like there's a lot of implications going on in that story that are very exciting but at the same time kind of come out of nowhere and they, they give it a they give they play into the soap opera aspect of that show to a heavy level but they're also very real and raw and honest and, and it, it works I mean, it'd be interesting. It, I mean, imagining imagining House of Cards under a broadcast umbrella. Like, does Kevin Spacey ha share his not not so heterosexual thoughts with that reporter in season three? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know that's or have the bonding moment at the library with his old classmates in season one. I think yeah, season one. It's like one of the first things. It, right, right in the first season, we've got we've got very strong very strong layers to it yeah. but you know would 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 even hbo be comfortable with that has hbo ever had like a you know male protagonist who you know at least at least flirts with bisexuality oh i didn't prepare for this liz I'm, i mean <laughs> not not springing right to mind but we just had a conversation before we started this about how <laughs> I can't remember specifics that well when I'm inundated with other things at the moment. So yeah, I, yeah. I, please write into us and tell us what we forgot, or we'll put it in the show notes if there is one. I'm, I mean, they definitely have had characters. There's definitely people, uh, you know, who who are fo a focus of the show. But I mean, trying to think of a lead. I mean, Tony Soprano it didn't come out at any point and say, hey, you know what? I, I mean, I don't think that the Sopranos would ever have gone to a place where Tony Soprano had gay thoughts. No, and I don't think the, Boardwalk there was a, Empire did it either, at least not with Steve Buscemi's character. No. Um, though that show had some compl complex yeah. sexuality to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, gosh, uh, I think, like, really the only example I have in my mind right now is Halt and Catch Fire, with, uh, which is, of course, AMC. Right, which is but, basic cable, which was an example that bothered me back in season one, but they've come to terms so the thing that's really interesting about netflix as it currently stands is you know it has you know we've 
we've rattled off a whole bunch of shows that have done have at least explored the concept of sexuality well I'm not going to set myself up for a thousand thing pieces or I know that there are a thousand thing pieces on you know elements like the treatment of Piper being technically a bisexual character on Orange is the New Black that sort of thing uh, yeah it's opened up a lot of discussions which is which is very valuable which is one of the I mean really nice things about these kind of stories getting out there and that's outside of just the fact that they're really well told stories like we already talked about yeah I mean we, we now we're talking about we're talking about a, a, a slate of programming that includes not one but two notable uses of strap-ons in, <laughs> in, in, in its programming uh, kids don't if you're listening to this don't ask your parents what strap-ons are please I don't want to get letters yeah. uh, don't worry about it you'll learn when you need to <laughs> Oh, Ben. You're, you're looking off into the distance, caught up in memories. I just watched Sense8. There's a lot of very vivid memories going on in my mind. Yes, uh, but I think what's what's becoming interesting now is the question of where Netflix goes from here, because they've done such a great job of establishing, establishing their brand for premium content, for high-quality drama and comedy, and now they're, but now they're starting to push into new areas. Like you know, how does how does Candace Cameron, what whatever her last name is, who is a devout Christian uh, on like a Kurt Cameron level because they are brother and sister, how does Cameron Kurt, uh, Candace Cameron feel about starring on Fuller House when that show returns on Netflix later this year, next year? I don't. I have no idea, Liz. <laughs> but I will say that I bet she feels great about it, because what else was she doing until this point? Aww. Like, get her back on TV and get her back where people are going to be paying attention. I think she'll be happier. I understand what your question is, though, and it, it is an interesting kind of brand development. But I think there's two different ways that you can look at Netflix, and one way is to look at them and say, this is a network that is producing original content, and their original content stands alone, and this is what represents Netflix. And then there's kind of the more uh, customer side of it where every show on Netflix is a Netflix show, whether Netflix created it or not. Mm-hmm. They only watch shows that show up on Netflix because they've cut the cord and they don't pay for cable. So the question I get asked a lot is if I'm talking about a show, they go, oh, okay, well, what's it, what channel is it on? And, and it's more about, well, yeah, it's on FX, but you can watch it on Netflix. And then they're like, oh, great, okay, cool, That's then I can go with it. So, uh, all of these shows have kind of already been grouped together, at least in one mindset, which is the most important mindset for Netflix, which is their customers. They already think that Netflix has just about anything they want. They may start to associate the Netflix brand specifically with these kind of advanced progressive mentality, but then at the same time, I mean, I can watch Arrow on Netflix, I can watch uh, Cheers on Netflix, I can watch Friends on Netflix now. I mean, not that these aren't progressive shows, but that they're definitely, you know, other shows outside of the the Netflix originals brand. So well, it's interesting too because this is this is something that I I first really started thinking about when I covered the show called Granite Flats, which is an original. It's a series. It's it's such a bonker story. It doesn't still don't really understand it. And I wrote like a thousand words about it. But the you know it's. It's an independent production from a network called BYU TV that is owned by Brigham Young University out in Utah, and it's a independent drama aimed at a family audience that happens to have in its cast people like Parker Posey and Christopher Lloyd, and the 
guy who's plays Charlie on Scandal. It's a weird, weird show. Uh, and Netflix recently uh, picked up distribution for all three seasons of it. And the thing that's fascinating is the fact that this is, you know, it's a, it's a show for produced by Mormons, and thus it has no smoking, no drinking, no gay characters. And, you know, they have arguments for a lot of this stuff, including the fact that, you know, you wouldn't have an openly gay character in the 1960s, which is when the show is set. But it's a completely different audience and a completely different market that Netflix is going for with this acquisition. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean that's, that's their strategy. Netflix is, is definitely a company that wants to be a one-stop shop for whatever you want to watch on TV. And, and I mean, they're look, they've rumors of them looking into live programming. There's rumors of them going into sports. There's mm-hmm. rumors of them uh, developing a number of different things. And you, every time you hear about a show getting resurrected, the first person you talk about is Netflix. Mm-hmm. The first company, I should say. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of continuing their overall strategy. They started as a, a, a company that mailed you DVDs, so you didn't have to go to a, like a multitude of rental stores if you lived in a big city, so you just got Netflix. Then when they started streaming, they had a bunch of bingeable shows that you know maybe you'd already seen, but they were in a one-stop, easy location, and, and you could watch it in a way that you couldn't do with any other service. So they're continuing that kind of idea where you don't need anything other than Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like We've got great original shows, we've got the old favorites that you want to watch, we've got a whole bunch of continuations, we've got new documentaries, we've got movies. I mean, you don't need any other service but ours, which is going to become essential because, I mean, the price has to go up soon. I, I, they, talk, they talk about it all the time. They, I've, a lot of the blogs that I've read that talk about the business model of it, they can't sustain with this certain with this specific price point so it's got to go up at some point and to justify that i think they're going to have to point to how much they have well i mean certainly if they added sports like what 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 sports are they talking about adding i've heard soccer that's what i've read that was the first thing that i read was that well, they were going to do soccer soccer's not too pricey well soccer's also you know not that interesting of a sport so it's a good thing to oh. Oh, poor soccer. <laughs> Sorry, everyone in the world now who likes soccer. I mean, I was going to say that the globe, like, if Netflix going after soccer makes sense because one of the other factors about Netflix that's so interesting is how it really tries to regard itself as a global company. Like, if you were doing shots every time they said the word global during their uh, TCA yeah. address <laughs> last 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 year. You would not have walked out of that room. No, yeah, that would have been you would have been staggering at best. Yes. If you're Don Draper, you could stagger out of the room and then throw up in the little uh, what was it like a vase when he was at yeah. the funeral? Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, that was a classy move. Good reference, Ben. Thanks, Liz. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no Netflix. That that model is going to be very interesting. It's going to be kind of a funny thing when you turn on like when you turn on your system. And it pulls up, and you've got Sense8 on one side, Orange the New Black on the other, and Square in the middle is, you know, Fuller House. Like, that is going to be a weird thing to stare at, but I guarantee the other thing is there's so many people who will watch all of those shows. Really? Oh, yes, absolutely. I guarantee it. They're never going to give me those numbers, so I'll never be able to prove the statement right. <laughs> but I still absolutely believe that I'm... I would love to know about crossover audience. Like, the boat, the closest we can get to it is, like, looking at the algorithms and seeing, like, what pops up as a recommended thing to watch if you've watched this other thing. But that speaks to... So many I things I want to find out about those Netflix numbers. God damn it. Ben has a Ben. Ben doesn't like when people withhold numbers from him. Yeah, I don't like secrets. Secrets, they don't make friends. 
So, but the thing, the, 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 I think the argument or the future of Netflix seems to be driving, though, I mean, the whole point of Netflix has always been that it's meant to be a, per, a personalized service to as much, uh, to as much of their ability as possible. Like, you're, I'm supposed to load up my Netflix, and in theory, my Netflix should look different from your Netflix. Though that, of course, is impossible because you and I have the exact same taste. <laughs> Obviously. Well, yeah, no, and, and you're right. And and that's one of the things, honestly, that I, if, if you ask me to find flaws in this kind of arrangement, it's just the cataloging of it. Like, unless you know exactly what you want to look for, you have to rely on the fact that they're going to bring things up to you, and, and you'll find them that way. You know what I would love... If you're listening to this, I this might be a terrible idea. This might be an idea no one actually does. She's going with it, though. I'm going with it. If you're a Netflix subscriber, and if you listen to us talk about it for 17 minutes, you're pro- you probably are. Uh, if you're a Netflix subscriber, uh, go to your load up your computer, load up your load up Netflix on your computer, or go to your you know device of choice on your television. Take a picture, take a screenshot of what is pops up for you as the most recommended things. Yeah. We'll do it. We can. We'll pub- we, we might publish them anonymously, or we'll publish them anonymously. No one. No one wants to know. We, we will keep your secrets. We will not reveal how much you've rewatched the X Files. <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious. Like, I, I would love. To, I think that's fun. Like, you know, like yeah. seeing, seeing like the diversity, the diversity of Netflix rec- recommendations from random strangers on the internet. Yeah, and honestly, it was something. It's something that always strikes me because of the redesigns. Like every time, like you use a different device, it, it kind of has a different setup. Right. It's same basic premise, but for me, I remember being stricken. Struck? Struck. Struck. Recently, by the fact that Sensei didn't come up for me. Really? And it was a, ri- and a Netflix original. Every other Netflix original came up for me, like whether I loved it or mm-hmm. didn't love it. But I, I had to search for Sensei. It wasn't on like a recommended thing. It wasn't in like a hot new commodity, like their wow. new release section, or recently added, or whatever it was. I, it wasn't in my feed, which I thought was very strange. But somehow they thought I wouldn't want to watch Sensei. And maybe they were right. I don't know, but but you, they were wrong. You did want to watch it. Yeah, I did want to watch it. And so far, it's pretty good. So we'll see what happens. But uh, but yeah, I, I find I do find that a fun experiment. Yeah. Uh, so Ben at IndieWire.com oh. and Liz at IndieWire.com. Oh, you're said- just gonna give them mine. But <laughs> you're like, yeah, it's a great experiment. But just send it to Ben. I don't want to. <laughs> no, do send it to both of us. I want to see them. So Liz and Ben, Liz, Liz at Liz at IndieWire.com, Ben at IndieWire.com. Are you happy now? I put mine first. Yeah, that does feel better. Okay. Um, but yeah, that, that that'll be that'll be interesting to see. I'm yeah. curious now. It'll be a fun surprise too, because I'm sure we'll have forgotten about it by the time. Well, yeah, by the time the emails start rolling in, we're like, what? who is this? What, Why are they what is happening? Eventually yeah. we'll remember. but uh, And we'll send a prize to the first person who get, gets them in. Yeah, and it'll be really funny when all of them are the exact same. It will be. And we just spoil spoil everything for everyone. Yes, but we'll have learned. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's the thing. If, if Netflix, if this new Netflix strategy of really trying to diversify the kind of content, the, the kind of original content it has, if that strategy is going to work, making sure the algorithm works, making sure that it really is a personalized experience when you go into go into your Netflix, that's going to be key to it. Because it, it, that's, that's how this stuff is going to surface. Like if you're, you know, a a relatively a, re- a relatively clean living uh, family family person, 
and you and that granite flats doesn't pop up for you then what's going on yeah why and you know how do they measure it not just by what you watch but what you rate like if you do rate it if you don't rate it does it make it harder if you have multiple accounts like do they break it up evenly i mean do you I rate always, i rate yeah i always try to rate i um i don't like that i can't do half stars because <laughs> I have a problem. They give you five stars. I know, which is one too many, admittedly, but still, I like the halves. Uh, but no, I do try to rate it. And then I'm always surprised when... I'm always surprised what they expect me to like and what they expect me to hate, because it's, it's not always accurate. Yeah, those numbers... I've never, I've never really dug into those numbers, but every once in a while I'll notice them recommending something, and I'm like, you guys... You guys could be cray. <laughs> I don't actually say that. <laughs> Just the inner brain of Liz. Yeah, the, the inner brain of me. Inner brain says cray all the time. It's crazy. Um, inner brain is circa 2008 for Liz. <laughs> is that the 2008? I thing? don't know. I just picked a number that was good. That was good. That was, that's good. It's a good number. It's a totally solid number. And yeah, it's. Oh gosh, where were we? <laughs> well, one more thing I wanted to point out before we kind of wrap up the the Netflix discussion was, you know, Amazon is definitely in the same kind of boat. They're a main competitor of them, and both of them need to have programs that not that stand out, that break out, that appear, you know, at least different enough from the norm that people will pay attention and realize, oh my God, I need to subscribe to Amazon. Amazon is a thing now. Right. And based off what I like, again, kind of crude sketches, but but it seems like. Well, let me ask you this. Does Mozart in the Jungle have a prominent, uh, like, LGBT character at all? Or storyline, or a character with a storyline at some point? You know, there's there's a dash of it, but I wouldn't say it's at all prominent. It's, okay. certainly, it's, it's certainly not even on the level of, like, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, okay. where, like, at, you know, there is a prominent gay character. There's a prominent gay side character. Well, they're very close, because they have, obviously, fewer original shows out right now than, than Netflix did, but based off my totals, I, if that would have been one, they would have had two out of four. Now they have one out of four shows that has an L- like a strong LGBT presence. Netflix, on the other hand, has five out of ten, hmm. which is, I mean, half your shows, which is crazy, and that's no, not I mean, counting a few that like are very small characters or things that pop up along the way, but, I mean, that's that's huge. Well, that's, I mean, I'm going to... That's great. It's great. I'm going to say that my memory of Mozart in the Jungle isn't as good as it should be. I watched it several months ago, but there is at least one same-sex interaction. We should have gotten... If we would have had Eric Cohn as our guest, Indie Wire film critic, Eric, yeah. he would have been able to tell us. Dang it. Next week. Next week. Sorry, Eric. Guess what you get to do. Be on the <laughs> podcast and explain uh, Mozart in the Jungle to Ho- us. Hopefully Anne gave you positive feedback from this. <laughs> we did not torture Anne last week, that is true. I yeah, well, I mean what are the other two Netflix uh, not Netflix, I'm sorry. What are the other two Amazon shows that are uh, there's Bosch, Bosch and uh, uh, John Goodman show, the uh, Alpha Oh, Alpha, Alpha House. House, yeah. Yeah, Alpha House, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, so And then they've obviously got a huge slate coming up, but since we haven't seen them, I'm not worrying too much about it yet. Well, also, their new slate is, I mean, it feels slow. Like, Netflix, I mean, maybe that's just compared to Netflix, which has a new release coming out every other week, it feels like. Yeah. In time, actually, mathematically, that might be accurate. Well, it's a younger department. I mean, Amazon, you know, originals haven't been around for nearly as long as, well, not nearly as long, but as long as Netflix has, so they're, I think they're going to get there, and their pilot season is a kind of a different construction than the way Netflix does things, too, so. That's true. Um, so, yeah, they're they're definitely working it out, plus, I mean, 
Woody Allen seems to be struggling with his Amazon commitment, so maybe it's just a little harder environment over there. I can taste <laughs> that sandwich. I can taste that sandwich. Yeah, Liz and I have a bet over whether we'll actually ever see the Woody Allen Amazon show. I think we will, but yeah, after his can speech about how he regrets it and how hard and horrible it's been, it's looking like I might owe Liz a, a, a I don't know, Mick Griddle or something. I mean, yeah, something, not like a fancy sandwich. Uh, but I will I will say that I have the worst end of the bet because it's just literally if if it ever sees the light of day I have to buy Ben a sandwich. And I believe it I believe he's requested Arby's of all things. Oh, I love Arby's. Great. Great place. Great fast food stop. So that's what's on my horizon. Going to Arby's. <laughs> and on that wonderful note, we're going to transition smoothly into the best thing next thing portion that of our was segment. Such a good transition, Ben. Yeah, well, sometimes I try. You were, um, you were, but, it was really good. It was really smooth. But Liz, I think you have a. Oh no, yeah, you do. Well, your your next thing is pertinent to the discussion. But we're going to start with the best thing, Liz. What is your best thing that you've seen in the last week? I sat down with a DVD of You're the Worst. I'd seen the first two episodes last summer, uh, but I sat down with more of the episodes, and I thoroughly enjoyed it as much as I thought I would. It was It's such a charming, fun, weird, mean little show, and <laughs> I, I really enjoy the tone of it. The cast is great, and... I'm looking forward to finishing the first season at some point. Oh man, yeah, it's it's good until the last drop, and I really like the I've I've latched on to a quote that I pulled from one of the interviews with I believe High Cash where she said, and I think it was straight from the creator, but the 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 gist of the show is that it's the romantic comedy where they don't ask the question of will they or won't they get together. It's just they will, but when or mm-hmm. how the will, they will, but how. And I, I, I mean, that's a great deconstruction of the genre, which is something they're definitely working to do. And it, it, it's one of my favorite genres. So yeah, I'm with you, Liz. Good pick. Good. Thank you. So, what's the best thing you saw over the last week? Um, I, I'm gonna. Honestly, the best thing I've seen is Veep. But you guys have heard me talk about Veep enough. You know that you should be watching it if you're not, and you know that it's the best thing on TV now that Mad Men ended. Uh, if, if you are watching it. So I'm going to transition smoothly to... Why, why spare them what I get to deal with every day? <laughs> well, they're, they're volunteers, Liz. You have to deal with it. That's true. Uh, that is true. But no, I would uh, I would strongly recommend its companion piece on HBO, uh, Silicon Valley, as well. I'm ah. not, I wasn't as big on the first season as a lot of critics were. I definitely... I don't even know if I'd put it in like the top seven for like comedy nominees at the Emmys, but it is a very solid show, and when they find their groove, when they find that that kind of entry point to the world, it really just opens it all up. And they don't do it all the time, every episode doesn't work, they're not smooth all the way through, but they are finding a very good pace to end this, end this second season. And the Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's Cat example from episode 9, which would have been two weeks ago if you're listening to this on Monday... I mean that just floored me. That it's it's just the perfect. I love experience. me a good Schrodinger's cat joke. So oh God, it's so good. So yeah, uh, Silicon Valley, best thing I've seen. What about the next thing, Liz? What's the next thing on your plate? Well, you, we are talking to you from on on. Uh, we're talking to you on the eve of a lot of things, including the return of Orange's New Black season three. I think I've actually already picked this at one point or another as my next thing I'm looking forward to. Fine, but. It, but I, I really can't stress enough how like the first six episodes are good, and they're clearly building to something huge. And I really, I'm looking very excited about the fact that soon I will be able to get the whole season 
consumed and really be able to process what's going on with the show because it's a different show this year uh it's you know and it it really kind it, eliminating the larry thing eliminating larry as a character uh ben is just nodding in happiness over that yeah I, yeah i always felt he was a little strained like he was just not a weak link necessarily the show because he needed to be there he had a strong presence for a while but especially in season two i just well, now they have to really commit to life inside the penitentiary. Like, we don't get pops of Larry throughout the season. And as a result, it's, you know, it's a different beast. Uh, so I'm, again, uh, looking forward to sitting down with it, writing my review, and uh, enjoying it. So, Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? The next thing I'm looking forward to, Liz, is True Detective Season 2. <laughs> And yes. we are speaking to you, like Liz said, on the eve of very important things. And for me, today is the eve of True Detective screeners coming. Like, we're finally supposed to get them on Friday. Uh, I believe reviews should start pouring in over the weekend, so by the time you're hearing this, you'll probably already read a review of it. Um, More than one. Yeah, a lot of reviews of it. But only Ben's is the one that matters. Yeah, I don't know why he'd read more than one review. I mean, I'll have mine out, so just, you know. Read that. It. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. We've talked about this show, you know, a number of times already, and I've stated my... It's how we kicked off the podcast. It's true. It was our an inaugural podcast. Um, and I've stated my, my reservations about expectations going in, but I'm not going to deny that I'm excited. I mean, it, it's, it's a show that just because of season one, that's all you need to know. And yeah. because of the, the talent involved. I mean, Rachel McAdams was in About Time, Liz. She makes great <laughs> films. She was in The Vow, too. I mean, come on. Now we get to see her with a knife? Just, like, cutting somebody up? Oh, how, best TV show of the year. Automatically. <laughs> just autumn. We just finished. Our, our to-do list for the... Our, our top ten list for the end of the year are finalized. Yeah, the grading of True Detective Season 2 will be on a scale of did they have enough Rachel McAdams knife fighting? Like, <laughs> did they start slow where you kind of saw the knife? Like, you know, like you see the gun in the first episode. You got you know it's got to go off, so then you, like, see her use it a little bit. You're like, oh, shit, she's got some skills. Like, we can, might do some damage. And then by the end of it, she's just in this, you know, all-encompassing, one-shot, 15-minute, like, circle of fighting, and she's just cutting up, like, 50 dudes, and it's great. And it's a huge feminist moment for television, and then everyone can shut up about that part of the show. A+. Plus. Yeah. End. <laughs> so, my question for you is, if... Rachel McAdams, how, how much of the show has to be Rachel McAdams knife fighting for Rachel McAdams to ex succeed uh, Matthew McConaughey as the truest detective? Oh my god. Well, you're right. There is going to be a power ranking. I don't know how we're going to do it exactly, but of truest detectives, and, and Russ Cole is the top. He's the one to beat. If Rachel McAdams... There has to be at least... 10% of the show. 10%. Devoted to her knife fighting. Okay. Now, if that 10% is boring, or it's not effective, or it doesn't convince me that Rachel McAdams can do it, because let's face it, we know she can. So, if they don't... I wouldn't trust Rachel McAdams with a knife. Oh, man. I, I mean, I'd trust her with a knife if she's, like, defending me. I wouldn't trust her if I was going against her, because she'd kill me. But, uh, but, yeah, if they do it well, then I'm sold. I mean, she could be. She could top McConaughey. That is that is a bold statement. Yeah. It's going to be very exciting. She made um, about time, Liz. You don't question what she can do. Well, I'm sure that when you when you in the future are listening to this, uh, Ben will have explained everything on his Twitter account, which you can find at Ben T Travers. 
on Twitter, and Liz is on Twitter as well, at Lizlet with an I and an E. Yes, all those things. Uh, yeah, and, and I will have explained a lot of things, but I will not be giving spoilers. Don't worry. You can read the review, spoiler-free. We don't do that sort of thing over at IndieWire. We so don't. Just, uh, just sit back and enjoy. Yeah, and in the meantime, keep watching television.